Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Let's please join in the words for lighting our chalice. They're printed in your order of service. We light this chalice. And now I'm going to invite you to take a deep breath after all those words and to get as still and as quiet as you can. This is a time to listen. The sound will ring out in the silence of this sacred place, a place made sacred by your presence by the sharing of your joy and sorrow, by the shared journey of our lives, made sacred by the community we create together. Listen to the sound carefully. Chase it as it fades. And keep breathing. Listen. Although the weather is still warm, the season has changed. We've passed through the autumnal equinox. We've tipped into that time of ever-deepening darkness, the cold time, the dark time. We know this moment. We've experienced it, whether a handful of times or decade after decade. This moment in which the earth changes reminds us that all things change. We change, we grow, we lose, we grieve. Like the journey of this planet that we call home, the journeys of our lives follow cycles of joy and pain, of expansion and contraction, of life and death. In the cycles, in the turning, in the endings, the renewals, the beginning again, there is possibility and there is power. The coming cold and dark time is also a time for depth, for depth in community, a time of renewed commitment to being together, facing what comes together with intentionality and with care. Our journeys, our cycles, our movement through our lives are made so much better by companionship. Remembering that we need not journey alone, that we have friends here to support and help, to listen and to attend to the cycles of life with us, we gather together this morning. I'd like to invite up our coming-of-age students. If you are participating in coming-of-age this year, please come on up to the front to where Jeannie is. So this year, these members of our community will be participating in the Unitarian Universalist curriculum titled Coming-of-Age. This curriculum recognizes that this is a special time in a young person's life, a time when they are coming to know themselves better, coming to understand what they believe and are entering into a time of greater independence. The curriculum asks a lot of our young people. It asks them to think hard about who they are, to articulate their current understanding of the world and their purpose in it, 
And it asks them to do all of this in relationship with each other and in relationship with our larger community. Each time that we gather in recognition of how noisy and busy our lives can be, we make time in our service to be quiet, to be still, to breathe deeply, to pray, to reflect on our week, to meditate, to prepare ourselves for the week ahead. This morning, I will speak some words, and then we will spend some time in extended silence together. I invite you now into that time. I ask you to put down anything you're holding. Find a comfortable position for your body. Relax each muscle one by one. Roll your shoulders back. Unclench your jaw. Let your hands and your fingers rest loosely. And breathe in through your nose. Breathe in deeply and then out slowly. Focus on your breath as it moves in and out of your body. Keep breathing. This morning, we focus on what it means to journey together, to communicate with one another, to make right the missteps we have made with others. This morning, we consider what healthy, connected, intentional dialogue looks like between those who care. But in this moment, as you breathe, I invite you to focus inward. Honest communication with others begins with honesty inside ourselves. Caring and compassionate communication with others begins with care and compassion turned toward ourselves. Intentional speech begins with the ability to be silent. Breathe deeply. Breathe slowly. As we move into silence, focus on you. If you are in need of emptiness, turn your focus to your breathing. If you are in need of love, offer yourself love. Turn your focus to your hurting heart. If you are in need of honesty, turn your focus to the hidden places inside you longing to be given light. Breathe and use this time for you. Take a deep and slow breath. So tonight at sundown, the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah begins. Rosh Hashanah is the new year. It marks the beginning of creation. And in ritual, it marks the beginning of the days-long stretch known as the Days of Awe. At the end of the Days of Awe will come Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, during which prayers are said and fasts are observed. 
Rosh Hashanah is celebratory with sweet foods and anticipation for the new year. Yom Kippur is holy, spent in large part in the synagogue in prayer and in connection with a larger community and with God as the congregation uses the plural pronoun we to list all the transgressions and to ask forgiveness from God. But the days of awe in the middle, these days are a special time. It's said that during them, the books of life and death are open. During this time, every human has the opportunity to repent their sins, to make up for missteps and misdeeds, has the chance to make apologies, to seek forgiveness, and to offer it. It's a time for talk and for action, for taking real steps and making real efforts to repair broken relationships. It's the time to make restitution for offenses, to apologize meaningfully for wrongs done. About a decade ago, I received an email from a friend. We'd been very close in college, but had drifted when she moved to Israel and our lives had pulled in different directions. The email she sent was long, and to my surprise, it was an apology. I don't actually think she even really knew what she was apologizing for, some imagined offense that might have been the reason we drifted, or maybe for the drifting itself. But she wrote, this is the season of seeking forgiveness, for apologizing and making things right, for restoring relationships, and I wanted to connect with you again. I answered, of course, assuring her there'd been no offense, that the cycles of our lives sometimes pull us away even from those we love. And I apologized, too, for this loss of our connection. I had missed her as she had missed me. Her email brought us back together, and I was so glad for it. And she explained that she had spent time that year during the High Holy Days, during the Days of Awe, searching her heart, trying to be honest with herself about where her life had gone in a way she regretted, admitting which relationships she continued to grieve the loss of, and deciding to reach out with honest, compassionate, clear, and humble words to try and restore what she missed. I was grateful for the process she went through because it gave us back our friendship, but I have continued to be grateful for that email and that moment because it reminded me then, and it does every year as I remember it at this time, that all of us, no matter how intentionally or honestly we try to live our lives, no matter how we try to be led by love, no matter how hard we try to dwell always in a place of open and careful dialogue, we all will fail. We all will speak unkindly. We will forget to attend to relationships that matter to us. We will forget to listen. All of us will make mistakes and have regrets and generally go through seasons of needing to make amends. I was thinking this year about these days of repentance and introspection that is then called to be in relationship with and communicate with others. These days that culminate with a community litany offered to a God, asking forgiveness for all that has been done. And it struck me this year that this ritual stands in pretty stark contrast with the Orthodox Christian ritual of confession. So confession doesn't ask one to make restitution to a fellow human. Confession doesn't even ask for a public confession or a communal acknowledgement of misdeeds. It remains between oneself, God, and a priest. It's a sort of up-and-down forgiving rather than a lateral forgiving. 
It's an individual act, not a collective one. And the Protestant religions that evolve through reforms of that Orthodox Christianity generally drop confession, determining that, in fact, it is truly just between an individual and their God. No priest needed. But the stress in both those cases is on oneself and one's relationship to one's vision of the holy, not on one's relationship to one's community, not on one's relationship to other people. It's an individualism that has the potential to deny the importance of the collective, to deny the impact on each other of our missteps, to deny the power of owning together as a group what we've done wrong. The days of awe acknowledge that it is not in a vacuum that we make our mistakes. We will make mistakes. I have come to know over many years that in a funny way, the truth of our making mistakes is as obvious in congregational life as it is anywhere else, if not more so. Sometimes we think folks bring their best selves to congregational life. All too often we don't. Whether it's because we're testing the love of our companions here or just because we feel so at home, in congregational life we find each other speaking before we listen, coming from a place of defensiveness, talking behind closed doors instead of being compassionately open and honest. We find ourselves gossiping about who said this or that. We find ourselves refusing to confront others when we are upset or hurt. And part of this is because so many of us are not taught to communicate well. And it shows up here as much as it does anywhere else. But clear and honest and compassionate communication is a vital part of relationship and community building. Clarity and honesty lead to depth to realness. They lead to things that last. They lead to healthy relationships and healthy communities. There are a handful of ways that unhealthy communication patterns can show up. A particularly common and potentially unhealthy pattern of relational behavior is called triangulation. Has anyone heard this word before? Yes! I love when that happens. It means, essentially, the introduction of a third party into a relationship in order to alleviate stress or tension. So you can imagine a positive scenario, right? Two partners seeing a couples therapist are engaging in positive triangulation. But it can be very negative. For example, imagine that rather than a partnership together intentionally seeking out a third person for advice and feedback and honest reflection, Instead, a friend just inserts themselves into the relationship, acting as a go-between or actively reinforcing negative messages. Triangulation can happen in any kind of relational scenario. Siblings can use their parents, parents can use their children, friends another friend, and so on. So you can imagine this in the life of a congregation. Two folks working on the same project are struggling. Instead of talking to each other, one of them goes to complain to the board president or goes to the minister to say, this person did such and such, go fix it for me. Or imagine that you're mad about something I've done, and rather than coming to me, you go to a board member or another congregant in the hopes that somehow that third person will resolve the problem for you. Triangulation turns bad when it's an attempt to avoid conflict and honest communication by engaging someone else to do the work of honesty for us. The solution to triangulation is compassionate and courageous honesty that addresses things directly. 
So I want to stress again, though, the involvement of someone as support isn't always negative. Sometimes we need help addressing things head-on. And of course, there are certain circumstances where addressing something head-on legitimately puts us in danger. But generally, in the context of a congregation, direct communication that is careful and kind is the most healthy option we have. Another common but unhealthy pattern is the sharing of anonymous information. A few folks said this, or I heard from a handful of people that such and such. The challenge of statements like that is it's hard to know what feedback ought to be acted on. In this congregation of 200 people, over 200 people, it matters if one person says something or 50 people say something, right? It also matters who. Congregational life is in many ways all about what you put into it. If someone who is never here on Sundays complains about the hymns, that will hold less water, understandably, than the opinion of someone who's here Sunday after Sunday singing those hymns. Anonymous feedback is designed to generate fear, to make bigger issues and problems, but also in a funny way to avoid conflict and avoid vulnerable truth-telling. Now, I don't know a technical name for the third pattern I want to mention, but I call it digging in. So refusing to consider that there might be another point of view. Refusing to compromise or attempt to understand where someone else is coming from. This is a way of privileging the individual, right, the me over the we. The Reverend A. Powell Davies was a Unitarian minister down in the Washington, D.C. area, and he was part of a movement that spread Unitarianism out around the Beltway, spawning congregations that today are still vital and thriving. His words moved people. They would sit around like phonographs and play the record of his uh, sermons. His skill enabled communities to grow and thrive, and he wrote this. I become more and more certain as the years go by that wherever friendship is destroyed or homes are broken or precious ties are severed, there is a failure of imagination. Someone is too intent on justifying themselves, never venturing out to imagine the way things seem to the other person. Imagination is shut off and sympathy dies. If we know what it is that makes other people speak or act as they do, if we know it vividly by carefully imagining all that may lie behind it, we might not quarrel. We might understand. Often, we could heal the wounds. So what I have called a focus on the self always above the other, Davies calls a failure of the imagination. And he points out that this failure of the imagination to open us to another way of understanding or another way of believing or another way of making meaning leads inevitably to broken relationships. This is another way of avoiding actual meaningful dialogue. If I'm always right, I don't need to listen and communication becomes unnecessary. There are plenty of other patterns of behavior that avoid conflict and that need to be open. In all cases, though, they make real, deep relationship much harder, if not impossible, because they feed fear and they breed mistrust. So that is part of why we are introducing a new model of communication here at the Unitarian Society of Richwood, to help facilitate all of us learning some new styles of communication. So we have a newly active committee, the Committee on Shared Ministry. There are four of them, and I also sit with them on that committee. And together, it is our job to help the congregation stay healthy and focused on our mission and covenant. And so the first tool that the COSM, 
that's what we call it, the COSM is introducing is a healthy communication model. With this new model, the four lay members of the Committee on Shared Ministry will be available to you, all of you, for comments, for praise, questions, constructive criticism, the sharing of concern. They will take these bits of feedback on written cards on Sundays or via their brand new email address, but they will only take them if they have a name attached. If they are anonymous, they will not take them. They might encourage you to share your feedback directly with the person you have an issue with. Or they might offer to go with you to have some honest conversation and resolve an issue. They might just accumulate your feedback along with others and let the board or me or whoever it pertains to deal with it. But every piece of feedback shared with a name will be heard by the Committee on Shared Ministry and the Committee on Shared Ministry will do everything in its power to help assist all of us in communicating more directly, without negative triangulation, and with honesty and compassion. This community here, the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood, is one that is built voluntarily by you. It is a community that is, as all communities must surely be, sustained by the relationships that are cultivated here. A community is only as strong as its relational bonds. Not individual bonds to God, but the bonds here, among each other, person to person. The bonds that lead us deeper into our sense of oneness, of being a community, not just a random collection of individuals. And the bonds of relationships are strengthened by honesty and vulnerability, by trust and risk and by love. And I know those things aren't easy. Honesty is hard. Vulnerability is so hard. And trust and risk, they are all hard. Especially hard to embody face-to-face -face with another unpredictable human being. But the truth is that any relationship between human beings asks of us honesty and vulnerability and truth and risk if it is going to be a real and meaningful relationship. And really, foremost, perhaps, human relationships of depth and substance ask of us love. The kind of big love that I often talk about on Sundays. The kind that encompasses us all, that calls us to be better than we are, but affirms who we are right now. The kind that asks us to embody itself wherever we go. It's the kind of spiritual loving of the first principle and of these words by the Reverend Howard Thurman, who said, Here is a mystery. If sweeping through the door of my heart there moves continually a genuine love for you, it bypasses all your hate and your indifference and gets through to you at your center. You are powerless to do anything about it. You may keep alive in devious ways the fires of your bitter heart, but they cannot get through to me. Underneath the surface of all the, ten of all the tension, something else is at work. It is utterly impossible for you to keep another from loving you. Thurman understood that loving is an act we undertake regardless of its reception. When my friend emailed me, she had no idea how I might respond. Her apology, her seeking of forgiveness, was made without any foreknowledge of how it would be received. When the books of life and death are open during the days of awe, one doesn't know where one's name will be written. Even as one makes apologies and restitution, even as one does the work of introspection and participates in the communal prayers, 
one isn't entirely sure. Because the point isn't the reception. My friend may well have hoped for the positive outcome we had, but she didn't write her email to gain anything. She wrote it to right a wrong, in that case, however imagined it might have been. The prayers are spoken because repenting is the right thing to do. Acknowledging and seeking forgiveness for harm caused is the right thing to do. Not because we are absolutely certain that repenting will afford us gain. We love because we believe that loving has the power to change lives, not so that we might receive love in return in some sort of balanced transaction. We ask forgiveness, we offer forgiveness, because it is a means to create wholeness because we believe there's power in that asking and offering, not because we're keeping score or tallying offenses and recompenses in a ledger. So, too, we communicate with openness and honesty, not because we know for sure how it will be received, but because we believe it is the right way to build healthy community, because we believe it is the way to strengthen bonds, because we believe that a loving community that can be open and honest is the beginning of changing the world. We don't have, in our Unitarian Universalist tradition, a built-in rhythm of repentance, not with our fellow humans and not with whatever divinity we do or do not believe in. Orthodox Christians have confession. Our Jewish friends and family have the yearly rituals of the High Holy Days. We don't have a moment ritualized with the cycles of the earth. And honestly, I wish we did. I believe in that power of collective, rhythmic, repeated behaviors that give us moments to move beyond our everyday awareness of ourselves in the world. Now, in my best moments, I think that Unitarian Universalism calls us to introspection and repentance and communication and love every day. But I do worry that we have no means of collectively doing these things, because I worry that that lets us lean hard into our individualism and all too often to forget the value and power and needs of our collective. All those patterns, triangulation, anonymity, behind the scenes, whispering, the digging in, they all put the individual before the relationship, the individual before the community. Together we can move past that, though. We can embrace more honest ways of communicating. We can embrace collective acknowledgement of wrongs and the creation of new ways of moving forward. We can, all of us, start to place the community before the individual, the relationships before our fear. One of the ways we can do this is by engaging together in the work of admission, confession, and forgiveness. You may or may not know it, but in our Teal Hymnal, there is actually a spoken and sung lit litany that we are going to do together. I will invite you to do it. I'll be doing the spoken part. Ron's going to teach us the sung part. We didn't hand you the Teal Hymnals because it's one line you just have one sung line that Ron's going to teach you now. No, we do not. The words are, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. So. Forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. That's it. We forgive ourselves and each other. And with each other, we begin again in love. We begin again in love. Let's try it one more time. 
We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again Okay. So I will speak, then we will all sing. Okay? For each time our fears have made us rigid and inaccessible, we forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For each time we have struck out in anger without just cause, we forgive ourselves and each other. Each time we chose comfort over justice. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. For each time we made assumptions without asking questions first. We forgive ourselves and each other. For each time we spoke before we listened. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again For the individualism that sets us apart and alone. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again. And for each time we failed to be honest and compassionate in our communication. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in I invite you to understand that litany as a starting place. As the season shifts, take time to look inside. Instead of a spring cleaning of your spaces, I invite you to do an autumnal cleaning of your relational life. Take time to look at the moments, the relationships, the areas of your life where you have fallen short, where you have failed at honesty and openness and been afraid to try vulnerability. Make an effort to apologize without attachment for the outcome, just aware that your apology matters. Then begin to imagine new ways that you might communicate, new ways that you might care for the relationships in your life, new ways that you might embody risk and trust and love. May we all commit to the health and well-being of our own spirits, our relationships, and our wider communities. So may it be. We have to extinguish the chalice, so please rise in body or spirit and join us in the words for extinguishing the chalice. They're printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame and the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. May this season be a season of deepening, of growth and change, of trust and love. Go in peace. <laughs>